Chapter 15 of Flaming Youth. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mrs. L. Sid. Flaming Youth by Samuel Hopkins Adams. Chapter 15. Consciousness of virtue warmed Pat's heart as she jumped from the train at Dorisdale and sniffed the shrewd October air with nostrils that quivered like a kitten's. She had been working hard at school, ever so much harder than there was any real need for, on her music and domestic science, and now she was to enjoy some deserved recreation. For this was the week of Dee's wedding, and she had five days of unmitigated gaiety in prospect. She peopled her plans with the figures of those who were to be the participants of and ministers to her pleasurings, nearly all of them, it is significant to note, of the masculine gender. There were the local youth of her own crowd, with half a dozen of whom she had had a flutter, more or less ardent, in the last year, the out-of-town contingent whom she had long known from the viewpoint of childhood, and upon whom she aspired confidently to try her burgeoning charms and two or three unknowns who were to be of the wedding party. Carrie Scott had a place in the mosaic, too, but not an overshadowing one. The easy effacements of time, so potent upon a youthful mind, had dimmed, though they had not erased his image. She was expectant of livelier excitements than association with him afforded. Nevertheless, there was an abiding feeling of assurance in having him for a secure background, she looked forward happily to being approved by him for having worked so hard, much as a playful puppy looks for a tidbit as reward of a trick cleverly performed. Furthermore, she had a surprise in store for him. "'What's doing tonight?' was her first question of Dee after their greetings. "'Dinner dance at the Vaughns. Everybody going to be there?' "'All that are on hand. Some of the party aren't here yet.' "'Who's back of my crowd?' Selden Thorpe, Billy Grant, Monty Standish. He was asking today about you. That's stiff, commented Pat, doing a pirouette. No more pep than a jumping jack. Neither would you have if you'd been brought up in a bandbox. But he's begun to lift the lid and look around, and he's a winner to look at. Maybe I'll have a shot at him. Dee, I'm out for trouble this trip. I've been being good so long it hurts. You look it, the trouble hunting, I mean, commented the elder, appraising her maid of honor. They had to put a danger signal over you, Pat. Where do you get the stuff that you work on the men? Your features are nothing to hire out to an artist, you know. And yet, Pat laughed delightedly. Aren't they? Well, you and Con have got enough cold and haughty beauty for the family. Being a bride is becoming to you, Dee. You look stunning. Indeed, Dee's clean-cut, attractive athleticism seemed to have taken on a new quality. Her eyes had grown more brilliant. There was a higher glow of color in the clear skin. But a more analytical observer than Pat might have discerned in the little straightening lines at the corners of the firm, sweet mouth, a conscious effort at nervous control. "'Oh, I'm all right,' said she carelessly. "'When's Sissy coming?' Sissy Parmenter was the Philadelphia schoolmate whom Pat had adopted as B.F. Tomorrow night. You're peach to let me have her. What'll we do with her Wednesday, Dee? Only the actual wedding party are asked to the danger fields, aren't they? That's all. I'll get Carrie Scott to run her in town for luncheon. Isn't Mr. Scott one of the ushers? 
No, he and Jimmy aren't very strong for each other. I'm using him as my general utility man for the show. Dad's no good for that, and Bob's is too busy. Sissy'll be all fired up about Mr. Scott. I've told her about him. Did you tell her he was married? Of course. You don't think that would cramp Sissy's style, do you? She'll show him some thrill if he gives her half a chance. Not that he's too brisk a pacer himself. How's his little flutter with Con going? All off, answered Dee laconically. Does Con miss it much? No, she's having a mild whirl with Elm C. Selfridge. He's safer. Safer than Mr. Scott? Couldn't be. I think Scotty invented safety first. Do you? returned Dee dryly. Well, you've still got something to learn about men, infant. I've got something to teach them, too, laughed Pat impishly. Will he be there tonight? Who? Carrie? No, he's in Washington. Gets back tomorrow noon. This suited Pat well enough for her projected surprise. It went with her temperament that she should have a taste for dramatic effect. Assuming that Mr. Scott would report himself at the house shortly after his arrival, she planned to keep the early afternoon free. Watchful at her window, on pretense of taking a nap, she saw his car come up the drive and hurried down to the music room, where she seated herself at the piano and began to strum casually, taking up the accompaniment of a song as he entered the front door. It was sketchy and sloppy, that accompaniment, the performance of a jerry-trained hand, but it served as background to the fresh, deep, unforgotten voice which met his ears and checked his footsteps. If love were what the rose is, and you were like the leaf. She completed this stanza, conscious through her woman's sense, of every slow step that brought him nearer to her. All the falsity of method, the cheap trickery of intonation which had been coached into her for the song, could not wholly devitalize the velvety passion of the voice. As the final word died away, she whirled about. Mr. Scott, I didn't know you were there. Didn't you? He smiled down into her eyes with that quietly ironic look of his, which seemed to mock at himself as much as that to which it was directed, taking her outstretched hand. I'm glad to see you, Pat. But didn't you? You know I did, she confessed. I was singing at you. Did you like it? Yes. Unsated of her lust for praise, she persisted. Don't you think my lessons have done me good? Have you been taking lessons? Certainly I have. You told me you wanted me to. I've been working terribly hard. How hard? A whole hour, some days, or pretty nearly. That is toil. Under whom? One of the teachers at school. She's very good. A professional? She used to sing in a choir. She says, Pat dropped her voice impressively, there are lots of voices on the stage not as good as mine. Doubtless. I wish I knew what you mean when you say that, that funny way, she said pathetically. I think you're awfully queer today anyway. Her manner changed from petulance to pleading. Do you think I've got a terrible lot to learn before I could try? Try? What? Going on the stage. I think you've got everything to unlearn, he said calmly. Silently, she gazed at him. The tender upper curve of her lip quivered. 
she turned back to the piano jangled a discord which was intended to be a sad and melting harmony and told her little feminine lie in a muffled voice and i did it all on your account too were you going on the stage on my account around she whisked again jumped from the seat and went to him her face alight that's what i adore about you you never let me put over any bunk what makes you so awfully clever about girls mr scott not clever at all he disclaimed i'm simply being honest with you and he supplemented hoping that you're one of those rare human beings with whom one can be honest successfully oh i am she averred fervently but you simply smeared my feelings i thought you were going to be perfectly thrilled and i get no comeback at all don't you like my voice even a little bit any more mr scott you did before there's a quality in it that that but what's the use you won't do any honest work with it you don't think i'm any good at all do you she said peevishly we were talking about your music weren't we ah uh, but i've done an awful lot besides music since i saw you and i've been fearfully good and proper aren't you proud of you very he smiled of your influence she took a fold of his sleeve between finger and thumb and idly pleaded at it keeping her intent gaze fixed there nobody's ever had half as much over me i've always done exactly what i liked and never done anything i didn't like it's a delightful world isn't it pat but sometimes those things have to be paid for at this she raised her eyes thoughtful and honest eyes now a little shadowed i've always known that and i'll always be ready to pay whatever else i may be i'm not yellow mr scott i'll take what i can get and if there's a a comeback i'll take that too yes you've got courage saucy voix that sees itself he had dropped unconsciously into the emphatic french idiom does it how can you tell you don't know me so well no i don't yes you do she contradicted him and herself i think you know me better than anyone ever has again she let her glance fall i know that you will face whatever comes unafraid that is in your face no it's in the way you bear yourself in any event there it is but you did hurt my feelings terribly i thought you'd like my music and maybe pat me on the head and and say nice little girl and give me a kiss and a stick of candy she slipped her fingers down to his wrist let them creep to the palm of his hand where they clung say you're glad to see me again mr scott she murmured very glad but she tilted her face toward his and turned it away whispered i don't think you act so very his free hand clamped strongly friendly down upon hers for a moment then released it with a tap are you trying to flirt with your grandfather pat he mocked not for the first time in their intercourse pat said savagely i hate you but this time she said it to herself with the wrath of disappointment and shamed uncertainty she turned to take her music from the piano it fluttered from her grasp to the floor whence he retrieved it pat's heart gave a bound of exultation she had seen his hand shake as it held the sheet out to her 
Wouldn't Grandpa like a dance with Granddaughter this evening? She challenged gaily. As many as Granddaughter can spare from her little playmates. Come early, then, and avoid the rush, she advised. I'll keep what I can out of the wreckage. Now I must send Dee down to you. She's got a million things for you to do. The million things proved exacting enough to keep Scott in town so long that the dance was well under way when he reached it. Pat passed him on the floor, floating beautifully in the arms of this or that partner, never for more than a few turns with anyone, for the rush was on for her favors. After dancing contentedly enough with such partners as he could pick up, for several numbers, Scott looked about to see whether there was any hope of his cutting in on Pat, but failed to find her on the floor, so, as the rooms were rather close, he wandered outside to smoke a cigarette. The soft carpet of the lawn tempted his tired feet. He strolled around the house, intending to re-enter by the far end of the vine-shrouded piazza, when, turning the corner, he came abruptly upon a couple deep in shadow which did not prevent his making out that they were close-clasped. Noiselessly, though he stepped back, he saw the girl's face strained back in attentiveness. Pat's startled eyes peered after him in the dark, unrecognizing. Carrie Scott swore. Then he laughed. The laughter was more bitter than the curse. End of chapter 15